Well, thank you folks for joining us once again and welcome to Grace. We are continuing in our study of the book of Philippians and we've called it Paul's Handbook on Joy and for very good reason because joy is the theme in the book of Philippians. Paul uses some form of that word joy more often in this book than any other epistle he wrote. And I see a formula for joy sitting here in the book of Philippians. Uh, He starts out with grace and peace and this is a theme throughout the book. Grace and peace. And, uh, you know, you can't have joy apart from understanding the grace package, the package of blessings that belong to you as someone who's trusted uh, the finished work of our Savior. Uh, Peace, having, knowing and understanding peace with God is that which brings the peace of God to our lives. Paul goes on to mention Thanksgiving. Uh, So Thanksgiving is is an extremely important part of prayer. As we said, Thanksgiving... The prayer life is about, and joy are about trust. Joy is a trust issue. You will not have joy in your life without trusting in Christ and what he's accomplished on your behalf. Uh, Joy is a trust issue. So we see how prayer fits into this issue and how it allows trust to have an expression. That's the purpose of prayer, that your trust might find expression. And this was... uh, Uh, There was a circumstance going on in Philippi, a circumstance between two ladies, Euodius and Syntyche, and we know that uh, they were at odds with one another. Uh, They weren't acting like they were joined to Christ and joined to one another, although both ladies had ministered with Paul early on. Both ladies had begun right. Both ladies knew very well what Christ had accomplished on their behalf. But now something had come between them. There uh, There was enmity. There was alienation. Uh, the need for reconciliation between these two uh, was present. And so Paul's getting them back through what I call very gentle and very kind reproof. Um, Philippians is a reproof epistle. The doctrine of our oneness, the doctrine of our being united with Christ, the instant we believe what he did for us at Calvary, and the doctrine, therefore, of us being likely, uh, or in like manner, I should say, united one to another intricately joined one to another just as we are joined to Christ uh, is an important doctrine to understand. So we see that doctrine presented in Ephesians. Some have called it love doctrine. Then we see the gentle reproof in the very next book after Ephesians, which is Philippians. Folks that needed correction, this is coming from 2 Timothy 3.16, doctrine, reproof, correction. The correction comes in Colossians where Paul is writing the saints of Colossae and telling them that their thinking has become skewed when it comes to Christ as the head of a joint body. So there's a doctrinal order for Paul's epistles. We come to Philippians now, and Paul's giving them an outlet. Paul's telling them the way. He's giving them um, the manner in which they might turn their focus off of the, um, the conflict and turn their fo- focus toward God, toward what he'd done for both of them, and express their trust in him that their minds might be focused more on the oneness rather than the disharmony and the alienation. Uh, I'm going to ask someone here to read Philippians. Go ahead, Sandy. Thank you. Now... Somebody on the internet can post that verse because I know they post as uh, as they go. So we'll post that verse and we'll uh, 
someone can do that for me and so folks can read that as they're listening today if you couldn't hear the one without the microphone but be anxious for nothing but and he doesn't say for everything he says in everything in everything so in every situation in every circumstance you can make your request known to God but he turns right on the heels of that and says with thanksgiving so he's not telling you to pray for things he's not telling the saints in Philippi start praying for things and God will, God will answer your wish list he's saying in every circumstance and these were people circumstances these were circumstances where saints were not getting along with saints and in every situation, Paul's saying, uh, you can make your request known unto God. But he, but he links thanksgiving right along with it. You know, when you're in a situation that's a, uh, a painful situation, a painful circumstance, and, and uh, no matter what it is, you have an opportunity to take that circumstance to God, to pray about that situation and circumstance, but how can you thank Him? When you're praying for something, you can thank him when you're praying in something, in a situation, in a circumstance. This is an opportunity, and I hope you folks see it. It's an opportunity for you to give your faith in him expression. Uh, This is not the seed faith that Miracles uh, for Money ministers preach on TV today. This has nothing to do with planting seed faith and then as soon as you believe it, God's going to do it. This is thanking him in every situation. You have opportunity in a situation. You have opportunity when you're in a situation with someone with whom you disagree. You have opportunity. You have opportunity to handle that situation in a negative manner or to handle that situation in a positive manner. It's up to you how you address that situation. Uh, we had a situation on the, on the cruise that came up where somebody was not giving me my way. I walked into the dining room and I asked for a seat for two. I don't know why I'm sharing this. (laughs) I asked for a seat for two or a seat for ten, table for ten. We had at least ten people. We had 30 people, 31 people. We had three tables of ten. And I walked in for breakfast that morning and I said, I'd like a table for ten. And she started leading me down the aisle and I said, or two, because as soon as the others came in, Debbie and I would would move from two and rather than disrupt eight other people sitting at a table that we didn't know and that's how they seat you on a cruise ship Uh, you go in the next two seats are yours and you're with a group you don't know and that's a good thing you can learn people and uh, you can get to know people and it's a wonderful opportunity but I wanted to sit with our group so I asked for an empty table of ten she didn't want to give me an empty table of ten nice young lady but she didn't want to give me a table of ten So she steered me to a table uh, where eight people were already seated. And I said, no, I'd rather have... No, this is how we do it. She said, you have to sit here till your party comes. So I said, Debbie, let's go. We're going up to 10. That's the buffet on a cruise ship. That's the Lido deck. I said, we're going up to to, to deck 10 and we'll just eat by ourselves. And Debbie said, can't they give us a table? I said, they don't want to give us a table for 10. They want to seat us here. So let's go to 10. We won't eat here. And in... I could see her face go down and I could see a little bit of uh, anger come over her face. And she said, follow me. And she led us to a table for two. So we sat down at that table for two. And we had an enjoyable breakfast and nobody in the group showed up. And she pointed that out to me about halfway through our (laughs) breakfast. She walked by and she said, where are the others? They're not here. And I said, well, I thought they'd be coming. And she walked away. 
So at the very end of, you know, when our breakfast was finished, I just folded up a $5 bill in my hand and I went to her and I placed it in her hand. I said, thank you so much for accommodating us this morning. As we expected the other group to come, but they didn't show up. And I'll tell you who was taking care of the rest of that ship, <laughs> that cruise, was me. <laughs> it changed her countenance entirely, I'll tell you. And then it was, uh, uh, have a seat on the back by the window. And, you know, where's your group? Oh, they'll be coming in. Make way for his group and, and so forth. But, but you can respond to something with bitterness and anger. And that's our flesh. That's, who I wa- that's how I wanted to respond initially. And I did respond that way initially. I've got a little short with her initially. But you can respond that way or you can respond in kindness and you can respond in love. That's the way we're to respond. You'll never get anywhere when you respond like my flesh initially wanted to respond. You'll never get anywhere with those folks because the wall of alienation will go up and they'll be watching for you all right and the wall will be up before you even get into their presence. But when you respond with love and you respond with kindness and you let them know they're important, they are important. They have something. They have things going on in their minds. Here's a, here's a young gal on a cruise ship, probably been there for a year or more. Some of them serve as men. We talked to one had been there ten years, away from their families, away from those they love, waiting till they get into a port so they can make a quick phone call when they get off that ship. These folks have problems, but they're not allowed to bring their problems to the table. They're not allowed to bring their problems to you, but their problems are going on nonetheless. And sometimes they spill out on us. And it's, you know, they could respond. They could know what we know. They could have the reason we have to respond to to us positively when their thoughts are, are going around and their negative thoughts. Paul's going to get to the negative thought thing in the next passage. We'll get there. But right now it's prayer and a prayer life. And how the prayer life of Euodius and Syntyche could have been effective in the minds of the two for which prayer was given. Prayer was not given to Euodius so she could call God's attention to the fact that Syntyche had been a mean old lady and she just didn't like the way, uh, didn't like Syntyche's attitude. Syntyche wasn't given prayer so that she could call God's attention to her side of things. Look how I was mistreated. Look what happened to me here. No, prayer was given to Syntyche for Syntyche's purpose and for Euodius's purpose. Think about how that prayer life with thanksgiving could have been focused on How can I be a solution? How can I be useful in this situation to bring peace in the midst of the conflict? And then, if they knew Scripture, if their work of faith was up to par, as I said earlier, they might begin in their minds as they're thanking God that they have an opportunity to do this. Scripture might come to their mind and they might be able to apply it to their lives in their relationship and in their response to one another. It wasn't given to get God to change. Prayer wasn't given to Euodius to get God to change Syntyche's mind. Or given to Syntyche to give to get God to change Euodius's mind. That wasn't what prayer was about. They wouldn't be thanking him for something before he gave it to them. He gave them the reason. He gave them the motive to deal with one another in love. To prefer one another over self. He gave them wonderful motivation to do that. And as they prayed... In the midst of that turmoil, as they prayed to God, verses could come to their mind. What what Christ had done for them could come to their mind and they could apply that to the situation at hand and how that could change. And you see, it wasn't just Euodius and Syntyche. It would have been one thing if the conflict had remained uh, isolated to those two ladies. 
But, you know, conflicts between two people have a way of spreading pretty rapidly, don't they? Uh, we gather people to our side and then all of a sudden you have this group pitted against this group. This bunch pitted against that bunch. And now there's not peace and harmony anywhere in the body of Christ. So it wasn't the doctrinal issue that Paul cared about or he would have told us what it was. What he cared about was the disharmony in the fellowship, the lack of the display of love and preference for one another over self that was evident in that fellowship. And he's praying, uh, he's, he's telling these folks about prayer, what they can do in every situation, how they can put thanksgiving into it, <laughs> and they could be a part of the solution to that problem. Suffering and pain and people problems and circumstance problems and things problems. Uh, who was it? I think, uh, I'm not sure if it was Warren Wearsby. Somebody said long ago, it's circumstances, people, and things. And worry over those three that rob people of their joy today. And when you think about that, that pretty much covers all the bases, doesn't it? Circumstances, people, and things. Um, circumstances in our lives. In every situation, in every, every circumstance, in every painful or suffering circumstance... Let your request be made known unto God. So do we believe in praying in this age of grace? Absolutely, without question. Some would listen to what we're saying, what I'm saying, and say, you don't believe in prayer. Why, there's a pastor that doesn't believe in prayer. <laughs> Shouldn't share this, but I'll also share this. <laughs> Since this seems to be confession day, and I'm sharing all these. When I'm half asleep, you'll get me to say anything. We had people at one point in this ministry go to Grace Bible conferences with big badges on their chests saying, my pastor doesn't believe in prayer. Can you believe that? Because I, I taught them what I'm teaching you folks. Don't, don't misunderstand, misconstrue, uh, 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 if that's a word, uh, what, what I'm telling you today. We believe in prayer. We have more reason to pray today than the folks of any other age. But prayer was given for every age. God didn't leave a dispensation out. God's given prayer for every age, but prayer worked differently in other dispensations than it works today. Because God's purpose for the saints of other dispensations was not the same purpose it is for us today when it comes to our suffering circumstances. And we're going to see that uh, as we examine prayer in time past. But... Why does God allow suffering? Why do you have painful situations in your life? Why do you have painful situations and circumstances? Uneasy ones. Unhappy ones. Remember, joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is, is uh, happening related, event related. You can have an event that can make you extremely unhappy, but you can still have joy. You would think that when God saved us, and when did he save us, really? It's 2,000 years ago, roughly. The salvation was complete, accomplished, when Christ died and took your sins upon himself. It doesn't happen at point B in your life. It happened at Calvary. Christ took all the sins of the world on himself. He didn't just hold on to them. He bore them, but he paid for them. God's justice was carried out on Jesus Christ, the Son, at Calvary. And if there was one sin that God's justice was not satisfied for, Christ would not have risen again. Now, doesn't it seem like at that point, knowing what's there, knowing what's here, God would have said it's far better for them to be here with me than there where they are. 
on that sin-cursed earth. Well, I think I'll just zap them home right now. They've come to that point and believe, why let them go through suffering circumstances? Why allow them to live another moment on that, on that planet earth that's been judged, that's been cursed because of sin? I think I'll just take them home. But he didn't do that, did he? He left us here and he left us in these, these uh, decaying tents, these tents with a lot of pain, these tents, T-E-N-T-S, not T-E-N-S-E. <laughs> but he's left us here in these bodies and we're, we're ailing. We're, we've got physical distress all the time. It seems like the older we get, the more we have. Not only that, but circumstances come in our life and they're painful circumstances. Loved ones die. Loved ones get sick. Loved ones do things that we're not happy with. And all of a sudden our minds are in a turmoil and we worry and we fret and we stew over what's happening and why it's happening and how can we change what's happening. Why does God allow that in our lives? Why does pain come your way in the first place? Why are you going through suffering circumstances? And I know everyone here is going through some kind of suffering circumstance in their mind. Why is that? Well, there are three reasons really given in Scripture. Three sources of problems and troubles and uh, trials that come believers' way or, and unbelievers' way too. Uh, we could categorize all of these things into two groups, could we not? We could say there are avoidable problems and there are unavoidable problems in everyone's life. Some of our problems, I would dare say most. I might be wrong. <laughs> so don't hold me to this, but it's I think I would lean toward the idea that most of our problems are avoidable because most of our problems come by way of our choices. There's one area of an avoidable problem. Make better choices. How many times do we make choices in our lives and, and we look back and we say, well, why is this happening? All of a sudden, my mate and I are totally, well, we've got irreconcilable differences. We're going to have to split this thing up, go different directions because the, the differences that we have between us now are irreconcilable. Well, I'm here to tell you there is no irreconcilable difference if we apply the word and we apply the word not only to the situation at hand, everything's fixable if two people are committed to fixing it. Uh, what happens is one person's not usually ready to to apply themselves 100% to a fix. But there's no problem irreconcilable. But when things like this happen, we can point and say, why did God allow this to happen? What did Adam say? It's that woman you gave me. <laughs> Who did he blame? He pointed the finger back at God. It wasn't the woman God gave Adam. I bet she was everything Adam could ever hope for or need in life. It was Adam. It was his choice. Just like choosing, the mate you choose, is your choice. You chose who you chose. I don't know why some of you chose like you did. <laughs> I don't know why my wife chose me. I know why I chose her, but I don't know why in the world she ever chose me. Looking back on my life, I'd say, how foolish. <laughs> I hope I've turned that around somewhat. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. She'll tell you. <laughs> but you know, 
We choose wrongly sometimes. Thank the Lord that both of us came to an understanding of what Christ did for us. And we came to that understanding at the, at the same time. Had we not come to the, un, that understanding, when we came to that understanding, my life wouldn't be what it is today. And if my life wasn't what it is today, I'd never be with her. She'd never put up with me. She wouldn't be with me. But we both came into an understanding of the word and I've applied myself to learn that word and I didn't change a thing about my life. The word changed whatever it changed. And she can tell you I'm not the same person I was when I married her. But choices, we choose incorrectly. Society's great at giving, at removing, removing the consequences of our choices. That's what society does. Why, you made a wrong choice on Friday night? Well, Saturday morning, we'll, we'll just give you a pill. And that'll remove, that will totally remove the consequence of that choice you made. The choice was yours. The choice was yours. So when someone says, you know, we all do this. We, if you're from Florida, you know what a sand spur is. You don't want to walk across your yard with your bare feet. Because you'll end up picking out little sand spurs from your feet for a long time. And they're painful. We plant sand spurs with our choices. And then we pray that God remove the sand spurs and bring something soft for us to walk across. But it doesn't work that way. Don't deceive yourselves. The principle applies across the board. What you sow in your life through your choices, you're going to reap. And you'll reap from the flesh. Not from God pushing a bad button to teach you a lesson or show you how wrong you were. God doesn't have to do that. Life itself will hand you on a platter the crop that you've sown. And it's handed some of us a platter full. <laughs> and here we are praying to God to take away the consequences that have come about by our choices. Consequences that can come by a choice to try a substance we've not tried. Why not? kind of cool isn't it let's go against what the authorities and uh, the establishment's telling us we should do or shouldn't do and let's do it anyway and then we find ourselves reaping the harvest of the expense of our choice some people the rest of their lives some people it takes their lives but choices are made every day and not just choices that involve drugs alcohol uh, mates life mates choices in how we deal with one another are made daily and death comes in a lot of ways. Sin brings with it death. And death comes in a myriad of ways. How about the death of a relationship? Can your reaction to a situation bring the death of a relationship? You bet it can. And I can tell you this. You may have sown one seed to the death of that relationship. It'll take you wheelbarrows of seed sown in the opposite direction to restore it. It's happened in a lot of our lives. So number one, we suffer today because of the choices we make. Is that avoidable or unavoidable suffering? That's totally avoidable. I say we, you needn't pray to God to remove the circumstances. Start sowing a different crop and sow it all the time. A conscious effort to sow to the good, to sow in a different direction than you've sown. Apply scripture to your lives. God didn't make sin sin because he looked at this list of things and said these things are going to be fun to these people so let's make these things taboo well we're going to we're going to put these over here by themselves and say they're fun 
Avoid it. Why, this is sin. Is sin fun? Is sin enjoyable? Who, who can answer? Uh, I'll just give you, we'll, we'll just take the test here. Is sin enjoyable? Raise your hands if it is. Is sin not enjoyable? It's enjoyable for a season, isn't it? It's enjoyable for a season. We all know that. But when the crop comes up, you're not going to enjoy the crop that comes as a result of the sin. God didn't give you things and call them sin or allow things and call them sin because he knew they'd be fun and enjoyable. He calls that sin which is damaging to you. He calls those things sin which are harmful to you and harmful to those around you. That's why it's sin. So when we try things, experiment with things, invest our lives over in this area of of things that satisfy the flesh. And I'm not talking about satisfying the flesh in a normal manner. But in things that we know are wrong and harmful and hurtful to us, we're going to reap that hurt. And there's no praying it away. It was totally unavoidable if we'd used the word and applied the word to our lives. Uh, And, you know, that comes through the transformation of our thinking by taking that word in. Not something you do because you've got this list of things you have to do. God changes your thinking as you work in his word. He'll change the way you view things and the angle you approach things. If you get into his word and begin to study his word, he'll change your thinking. And then it won't be you trying to do something or stop doing something. It'll be a transformation that takes place and it'll become who you are. You don't even have to try to do it. It just becomes who you are. And that's how he's working today. He's not trying to reform anyone today. He's transforming folks as they'll take his word in and allow his word to replace human reasoning with divine viewpoint. And as that divine viewpoint begins to to come in and fill up your, your mind and you begin to think along the lines that God thinks, allowing Christ's mind to be in you, you'll be doing things automatically without even trying to do them because that becomes who you are. I can say most definitely with Paul. (laughs) I could say, (laughs) I think Paul made a mistake when he said of sinners, I'm the chief because I see myself that way. I hope you see yourself that way. Paul said, I've not, not that I've already attained. I see myself that way. I've not attained. I'm striving after that through the study of his word, the intake of his word, but I've not attained that for which I'd been attained already and you may not have either so you know the word is for all of us but there are understand avoidable and unavoidable situations that bring pain and suffering in our lives and most of those today I think are avoidable Uh, those situations have come about because of the choices we've made in our lives and we're simply reaping the consequences of of untoward choices of of, uh, choices that were improper Don't try to pray them away. It'll never work. Just begin planting a different crop. God didn't give prayer to alter your situation in those circumstances which were avoidable. How about uh, another area of our lives today where pain and suffering circumstances come our way and that's avoidable also. Can anybody give me a suggestion of an area of our lives where painful circumstances, situations can arise in our life totally avoidable how about there's our verse how about taking a stand 
taking a doctrinal stand. What happens if you take a doctrinal stand firmly, kindly, in love, but a doctrinal stand? What if you take a doctrinal stand for the uniqueness of the ministry and message of the Apostle Paul for the Age of Grace? What if you tell someone, I'm going to be a follower of Paul in the way that Paul followed Jesus Christ? Which is going to change some of my behavior. It's going to change some of the ritual that I thought was for us today. I'm going to do away with that ritual entirely. Because it's not for today. How about if you take your stand with Paul there? How about if you take your stand with Paul when he said, Hold fast the form of sound words which you have heard of me. Do you think there's some persecution that could come along the way? I find it so interesting that people... You know, people can, of denominationalism can meet people of other denominations and they can say, I disagree. I don't like what you teach. I just disagree with it. So they agree to disagree. But do you see that happen very often when it comes to taking your stand with Paul? People not only disagree with what you're teaching, but you're going to find some deep-rooted resentment at what you're teaching. Not only that, but anger begins to spill out. And these people want you as far away from them as you can possibly get. They won't have you near them because they hate what you teach. It's one thing to not agree with what you teach. There are pastors in this city having prayer breakfasts together that disagree with what the other ones teach. But I guarantee you if they hear what I teach, I wouldn't be invited to the prayer breakfast. Why do they resent grace? Well, it attacks the pride nature. It takes everything off the table that I can do for God to earn my position with Him. Gives all the credit to Him. It, it makes the, the guy with the, with the horrible sin next door on the same par with me with maybe my light sin from a viewpoint of someone else. But it's the same sin. It's just as hell-worthy. You say, well, he has this habit. What a terrible, horrible habit this fellow has. I have a habit. Is mine less worthy of hell than his? Is gluttony not a sin? Glad you didn't see me on that cruise ship (laughs) where the food was fast and free. (laughs) I did maintain my weight. (laughs) Know that. (laughs) I don't know how. Take a stand with Paul. Take a stand for rightly dividing the word of truth. Take a stand for pure grace. And you'll find persecution. You'll find an unhappy situation and circumstance where somebody, and a lot of times it's family, close family, the ones we love, the ones we want to see what we see. Why do we want them to see what we see? Because we're so smart. And we just know so much more than they know. And if they could just know what we know, boy, wouldn't they have a lofty status It isn't for that reason. We want them to see what we see and we want them to latch on to and take for themselves what we see to the degree that we've adopted it for ourselves because we love them. And we want them to see what Christ did for them. And not only what He did for them, it doesn't end there. What He can do in their lives if they'll just stay in His Word and study it. We love these folks. We want them to see truth. 
But I find it interesting that sometimes it's close family members who we begin to see this unhappy situation come into play when we try to tell them what we know. Sometimes it's best for you not to tell your family what you know. (laughs) Sometimes it's best for you to let somebody else tell your family what you know. There is something to that statement, uh, to that expression, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. You, you, can, you can take that one to the bank because there's something to that statement. There's a pride element, you see. This is why they hate our message. There's a pride element involved, a definite pride element involved when a family member or a loved one begins to think that we're trying to get across to them that we've reached a level or we've reached a, uh, a degree of understanding that they just don't have. And the old alienation wall goes up between the two and they don't want to listen to you anymore. Besides that, they've, they've come to be in a comfort zone with what they believe. And they don't want you to remove them from their comfort zone. They think they have to do certain things at certain times of the week in order to keep God satisfied with them. And they've been doing that for a time. How dare you take them out of their comfort zone? <laughs> so there is a lot of unhappy situation an unhappy circumstance that can come our way folks when we take a doctrinal stand and it does take it it does come our way I think most of you folks or many of you can attest it's come your way at some some point in your life if you've ever tried to reach someone with reconciliation much less right division don't take somebody to right division first take them to reconciliation first you know, right division is a way that they can prove reconciliation. <laughs> but take them to reconciliation. Take them to the fact that God took all of their sins, past, present, future, every thought, word, and deed before they ever had a thought, uttered a word, performed a deed. He knew about those before they were born. He knew about their first ones. He knew about their last ones. And he took every one of those and he put it onto the person of his son. And his son paid the price for that. So your ticket to heaven's already been purchased. You don't have to get to a point in your life and say, God's got to make a decision now to get me to heaven. I hope I can make the right decision to get him to make his decision in a positive way. He's already made the decision positively for you and for all those you know. He's already done all the saving there is to do. It's now up to us to take the world that message and up to them to either accept it or reject it. It's that easy. You can avoid the suffering, the pain, the persecution that comes from others due to your doctrinal stand, and it's very simple to do it. You want me to tell you how to avoid that kind of suffering circumstance? Don't take a doctrinal stand. Just refuse to take a doctrinal stand. Whatever they believe, well, that's good. Why? That's their right to believe what they believe. You have your right to believe what you believe. So everyone has a right to do what they want to do and believe what they want to do or what they want to believe and we can't infringe upon that by telling them what we believe. Isn't that where the world takes us today? Keep quiet. Keep silent. Why, if we say, God, we're going to offend somebody. So the idea with the world is avoid that that persecution by refusing to take a doctrinal stand and let everybody be happy doing their own thing with God. Well, not that easy (laughs) because they'll never be in heaven that way. 
Um, God's given his way to approach him. And he refuses to meet men on law ground. He will only meet men on grace ground. So it's up to us. It's our responsibility to take them that message. They may reject it. But you know, it's one thing to speak truth. It's another thing to speak truth in love. And far too often I think we speak the truth, but we don't speak it in love. And we don't find a way to get something across to someone in a loving way. Because we'd rather keep peace. (laughs) That's no peace. Believe me, that's not peace. That's covering up and hiding and stuffing away the feelings that are there because we don't agree. Unity of belief is important. It's an important thing. See, Euodius and Syntyche had that. And that's what Paul is turning them back to as they have problems in their life. So we have avoidable problems and circumstances in our lives. Those avoidable circumstances uh, and situations. Number one, choices. Number two, a doctrinal stand. But then there's some unavoidable situations that come up in our lives. You couldn't help it if you tried. Because they're going to come your way whether you want them to or not. Suffering, painful situations and circumstances are going to arise in all of our lives that we had nothing to do with. Couldn't avoid them if you tried. Because they're going to crop up at some point in our lives or all along the way. It's not a fun prospect, is it? Um, avoidable suffering, that's choices, a doctrinal stand. There it is in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Read a couple verses from Paul here. Romans 1.5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. 2 Timothy 1.13. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Tell somebody that it's Paul's message and ministry you follow. And they'll say, ah, you're following Paul. You're not following Christ. But we are following Christ. It was the ascended Christ who gave the words to Paul to give to us. So we're following Christ. Paul said in Galatians 5.11, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. So, Paul could have stopped preaching what he was preaching and avoided the persecution he faced. But Paul stayed with his message. In Romans 8, this is a suffering chapter. If you want a chapter on suffering today, Romans 8 is the chapter. Look at verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Us who? Those who believe Paul's gospel. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. There's your hope sitting there. The manifestation of the sons of God, that's your hope. What is that? That's the new body. That's the new tent. The manifestation of the sons of God. It's like all creation standing on tiptoes waiting to see the new tents, the new bodies as they come marching forward. For the creature was made subject to vanity, Romans 8.20 not willingly, to suffering situations, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. God's left you in that tent and there's a suffering circumstance that's unavoidable. You couldn't avoid it if you tried. Try to stop aging. Some have tried. Some are spending vast fortunes trying, but they keep aging. 
God subjected you to that. He's allowed you to remain in that earthly tent of yours for a time in hope. In hope of what? The new body. The hope spoken about in or spoken of in Romans 8 is the new body. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Unavoidable suffering. And it's for believers and unbelievers alike. Look at Romans 8.22. For we know that the whole creation... Oh, that's everyone. The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Us believers... Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, meaning that is the redemption of our body. Why? Why are we suffering? Well, we see the reason back in Genesis 3, do we not? Unto Adam, he says, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Watch, cursed is the ground for thy sake the ground has been cursed cursed is the ground for thy sake in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life the creation was cursed the ground itself was cursed thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field in the sweat of thy face Shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground? The creation was cursed. We're going to return to the ground. Till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Take a look at the cemeteries across the country. Take a look at the death rate. How many people have been on this earth? How many people have walked the way of this world before you, before me? How many generations have come? And every one of those generations have gone. They're all behind us. And it won't be long. And we'll be one of those generations that's behind the next generation. And it goes on and on and on. And if in this life only a man hath hope, he's of all men most, you know the word, miserable. And we invest everything we have in this life when we should be investing there because if life was a dollar <laughs> my kids know what's coming if life was a dollar how much of the dollar have you spent already some of us are pretty far along the way aren't we and it won't be long and we'll be that generation another generation's talking about what will they have to say about us what would their thoughts be about our convictions when it came to our what we believe how firmly we held to them you know, sometimes, and I think this is often, it's sad, it's the case, but I, I think this is often the case. You won't be fully appreciated for who you are and for what you believe until you're gone. And that's when the young people look back and say, you know, mom and dad, they really believe that. Maybe I ought to look into that. Because while you're here, that old pride nature's working in everyone, and it's working in the young people too, and they want to resist and they want to rebel against what you believe takes place you know raise them up in what they're to believe and sometimes they'll take it for granted when they get older and it won't be it won't be the passion of their lives not always but that happens sometimes when you're gone that's when you're really appreciated and that's when they begin to 
look into what did they believe and why. So it's important you take a stand. It's important you let people know through what you do and where you invest your time and your energy. It's important to let them know what you believe now. You can let them know what you believe without them believing a thing. You can stand fast for what you believe and they can know about it. And down the road, that might might mean a lot uh, to that person who might look into it. Suffering is going to be an integral part of every believer's life, as well as unbelievers, but every believer's life. And it's because of what took place in Eden. Paul couldn't have said it any better. God said it. Paul repeated him. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. And what we said is death takes place in a lot of ways. It can be the death of a conscience. It can be physical death. It can be... Uh, the, the death of a relationship. Think about all the different ways death can take place. How many here without sin? So there are some circumstances coming your way, coming my way, if we live long enough, that won't be pleasant. And it won't be avoidable. It'll be unavoidable because we live in a sin-cursed world and we're going to see those things coming our way from time to time. You've seen the synonyms for suffering. We'll put them on the board once again. Ailing. See, who, see if you can relate to some of these. Just read the list and see where do I fit in or have I fit in. Ailing. Diseased. Distressed. Anyone distressed? It's a suffering circumstance. Abandoned. Impaired. Frail. Sickly. Weak. Grieving. Sorrowful. Anguishing, sad, hurt, injured. Can we relate? I think every one of us here can relate in some manner to the synonyms we've just given. And those are the synonyms from the thesaurus for that word suffering. Paul gives you the solution in part one is to remember your prospect of glory. If you're a believer... You can remember your prospect of glory. What are we saying? It's not all to be wrapped up in this life. It's about our eternal life. For I reckon, Paul said in Romans 8.18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Remember that and don't invest everything you have in this life. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our, what's the next word? Light affliction. Paul called what we go through light. Doesn't seem light to us at the moment, does it? But Paul called it light when he compared it to what, what was on the horizon for him. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice what Paul says there. Look at what he said. Paul could have said, our light affliction, our suffering circumstances, which are unavoidable because we live in a sin-cursed world and they're coming our way, like it or not. They won't be long. We're not going to be here that long. Worketh for us. A weight of glory. Paul say that? Notice how he adds and adds and adds to that thought. Not a weight of glory. Not, a, not an, just an eternal weight of glory. Not just an exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Not just more exceeding an eternal weight of A far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Do we trust him? If a suffering circumstance comes your way, do you trust him in that? That that circumstance, how painful it is, how sorrowful it is that that's working for you 
as you put your hope on display through that circumstance, that that's working for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory? What could Euodius and Syntyche have been doing in the circumstance that they faced? Praying, making their request be made known unto God with thanksgiving? For what? How about for that? If you want to know what to thank Him for when you're going through a suffering circumstance, thank Him for 2 Corinthians 4.17. Because if you put your hope on display, take your stand and take it firmly, but allow the Word of God that's given you a definite future to strengthen you inwardly, to be the strength that you have in the midst of that circumstance, you're putting your hope on display to people who know nothing of your hope. And putting your hope on display is a Bema seed issue. It's called your patience of hope. You've got a work of faith that will be judged at the Bema. You've got a labor of love that will be judged at the Bema. And you've got a patience of, of hope that will be judged at the Bema. What is your patience of hope all about? There it sits, 2 Corinthians 4.17. So how are we handling our circumstances today? What's our prayer life filled with? Fix it? Take it away? Or allow it to work for me a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. God strengthens us inwardly today so that we can, uh, when we're outwardly weak, He strengthens us inwardly. How does He do that? By letting 2 Corinthians 4.17 replace human viewpoint. Human viewpoint that would say, this life is all there is. I've got to hang on to it with everything I've got. Can't let it go. Let that verse replace your thinking. And joy can begin to replace fear in your life. While we look not at the things which are seen, 2 Corinthians 4, beginning with verse 18, and right on through chapter 5, verse 1. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we think, suppose, hope, For we know, Paul doesn't use hope like we use hope today, like a maybe so, maybe not. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved altogether, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is where we're to focus our attention. So remember your prospect of glory and remember the prayer of the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer today, if you've trusted Paul's gospel, if you've taken your stand where God takes His stand concerning what Christ did for you at Calvary, took your sins away so that sin's not the issue, it's a son issue in the mind of God and you've accepted what the Son did for you where your sins are concerned, you don't feel it, you don't see it, you won't sense it. It's not bells, sirens, whistles. The only way you know it's true is because the Word tells you it's true. The Holy Spirit's been deposited into you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. He can grieve, but he cannot leave. (laughs) Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you've been sealed under the day of the redemption of these earthly tents. And the Spirit is inside you doing something. What's he doing? Likewise, Romans 8, 26, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit's making intercession for the saints. Last five words. According to the will 
of God. Can that not give you peace? Well, I didn't pray for this yet. If it's important to God, it's important to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's praying on your behalf. No time off, no no vacation time, no downtime, no water cooler breaks, no time away from the job. The Holy Spirit, if you've accepted Paul's gospel, taken it for yourself, the Holy Spirit's in you praying to God on your behalf every minute of every day. And guess what? He's allowing you to undergo some of those suffering circumstances. As Paul says, such are as common to all men. But there's something unique about yours. They're working for you a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. What rejoicing we can have in that, folks. What peace we can have. If that doesn't bring joy to you in the midst of a circumstance where happiness is fleeting, (laughs) nothing will. Your eternity, your destiny is set. Nothing can change it. You couldn't change it if you tried. God didn't allow for Satan to be able to come in and change your minds about whether you believe the gospel. Well, I believed it yesterday, but what if I don't believe it today? He didn't allow for that. What did he do? He sealed you. (laughs) He put the Holy Spirit inside you. That's your seal. Try not to believe it once you believe it. (laughs) That seal is there. Even if you reject, even if you openly, verbally say, I reject it, too late. You've already believed it and you were sealed. God's not going to allow the devil to do that to you. You're his. He's yours. He's given you so much of his wisdom uh, by which your minds can be transformed. Human, Human reasoning given way to divine viewpoint. That there can be joy in your life no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. Nothing can come your way that you won't be strengthened inwardly to bear up under and to put your hope on display outwardly to those who know nothing of the hope we have. We're going to stop there today. (laughs) I didn't even get into the part I wanted to get into. (laughs) But we're going to look at how prayer worked for Israel and why it worked that way for Israel. God not only tells us why Israel was blessed physically... God tells us why bad things happen to them physically. We're going to see why. And we're going to see why he allows us to go through the suffering so that that suffering can work for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. So stay with us. These are interesting things, exciting things, things that I love dearly. And it's my passion to tell you about them. I hope it's your passion to hear them and study them. And let's thank the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've accomplished for us through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was willing, that you were willing to give him, that he was willing to give his life, that we might have eternal life by simply accepting what he's accomplished for us. How easy you've made it for people uh, to, to, to be with you in heaven, how difficult it is for the pride nature to accept it. We continually think if we broke it that we could play some part in fixing it and we can play no part whatsoever. You've simply asked us to take you at your word concerning what Christ did for us, how easy you've made it. We thank you for that. We thank you that there is so much in your word we could learn from, so much in your word we could apply to our lives by allowing 
your word to transform our thinking. So much in your word about what you've accomplished beyond uh, giving us eternal life. Eternal life is just the beginning point. When we get into all those spiritual blessings, we just, we can't fathom all that you've accomplished for those for whom Christ died. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for how we grow when we take it in. And I thank you for these folks who come out faithfully to hear the word proclaimed. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.